for sure. Um, but yeah, Brett, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. When did you move to Puerto Rico and uh, how did you get started in the, in the crypto space? Yeah. Uh, oh, this one's a little louder. Uh, hey, so let's see. Um, was it? It was so I actually started, I guess I read the, um, how many people in here have read the Bitcoin Satoshi white paper to sort of show up hands? Oh, that's pretty good. All right, this is a couple. So it's actually, um, it's a nine page paper. It's like one of the, it's really kind of simple uh, paper to read. And um, I, in 2011, I sort of came across it and the whole Bitcoin thing. And um, yeah, I started, I guess I mined a few Bitcoins in 2011. Um, and I actually moved here uh, this year to Puerto Rico. So I came out here in January and uh, decided to stay and um, yeah definitely the uh, Act 22 tax incentives were what uh, you know, attracted me to come and check it out and, um, and you know everything else I learned about Puerto Rico since then has been amazing so it's great. Very cool and so are you a developer? Uh, yeah so I, um, I'm actually a lot older than I look I'm 37 years old uh, I know a lot of people don't, don't realize that. So I was born in 1981. Um, I actually wrote my first program when I was seven with my grandpa on like a, a pre-computer little thing. It had like not even a real display, like a little calculator display. Um, and um, yeah, I've been sort of writing, writing software ever since then and um, went to MIT and studied physics and nuclear engineering there. And everyone there was sort of, uh, you know, into tech and Linux and the internet and all that stuff, so. Nice. And so you grew up, and then what were you first introduced to, to crypto? Was when you read the white paper? Well, you know, so I, I, I like to think about um, what we're doing here with, with um, you know, some people call it blockchain. One of the terms that I prefer to use is called, I, I like calling it sometimes like crypto economics. Um, and what I think, the way that I like to think about it is, um, you know, in these like Bitcoin or other, other sort of crypto coin projects, I like to think that technically there's like a few, there's a few pieces of technology that we kind of put together. And one of those pieces is public private key cryptography. So there's this like really powerful idea that you can actually put money on a private key that you control, right? And, and what does that mean? Well, that means like I can write down some words on a book and I could put a billion dollars on it 
and get on a plane and then move that money somewhere, right? And there are actually really strong capital controls all around the world right now. So if you, if you are in China, it's, a really, it's really hard for residents of China to get their money out of China. And if you ever you know, take a plane, you see all the signs and customs, you're not allowed to bring more than $10,000 on any plane trip. Um, right. Well, yeah, I mean, people don't control their money, right? Try to go to an ATM and take out more than 500 bucks, you can't. Right, I mean, but, but there are, you know, that, that regulation has affected uh, the way, the, the world in, in very you know, major ways uh, for a long time. And that's what, one of the things that we're, we're gonna see huge disruption in that. Uh, now that, you know, and some of those people are gonna be bad people. Like, there are gonna be bad people in, you know, corrupt regimes all around the world that previously weren't allowed to move their money into other areas, and now they can just put that on some Bitcoin and fly into wherever with it, right? So there's, you know, with every technology, there's good and bad, and, um, you know, we're gonna just see these sort of radical changes. Um, but, you know, I, I've used private keys since, you know, probably the late 90s, right? So RSA, uh, Ronald Rivas was a professor at MIT who you know, made RSA encryption and it was, it was based on this really simple idea that it was easier to multiply than to divide with computers and, and they weren't really sure like there was this sort of mathematical idea that they were, had a hunch they're like well we think this is true and so they started it out by just taking two really large prime numbers multiplying them together and offering a reward in a magazine, like a thousand dollar reward, can anybody factor this number? And they're like, no, nobody can do it. Well, maybe it's hard, you know? And that, that's actually like a famous number that they threw out the, the factors and I think nobody's been able to factor it still, right? Wow, um, so that's actually, that leads me to something that I think we, we spoke about um, off the stage. So crypto mining, right, Bitcoin mining, it's doing a lot of calculations, right? But are those calculations being used for anything? And, and what, what are they really doing when they mine coin? Yeah, so, oh, by the way, am I, am I like too loud here or is this good? It's good, okay. So actually that's, that's an interesting idea that, you know, everybody talks about the, the mining, right, in, in, um, in, uh, in Bitcoin. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is the kind of topic that you could talk about for hours or days. Um, but to me, there's, there's a few things going on here that I think are, are actually really, um, really important for people who are in this space to try to internalize. One of those things is that the, the um, so you, we live in this world, right, where everybody, like, uh, uh, right now, we're all so used to trusting authorities. And for a really long time, the authority on where we got our media, right, was the news. It was like the only place. You sit in front of a TV, and they send you the news. You know, you, you get your newspaper, you send you the news. And there was like three channels. And there's three channels. channels. Now we all have choices, right? So now what's happening is, like, if you are of this political mindset, you get your info from these people. If you're of this political mindset, you get your info from these people. You and, get stuck in a bubble. And you get, wait, that's, but that's not going away, okay? We're not gonna go back to this old system where one authority 
tells everybody what the truth is. Because right now we are gonna get stuck in these bubbles and those bubbles are gonna get even more narrow. And we're all gonna start getting our own truths from these like sources that are gonna be different from each other. So we're all, we're gonna have different truths. Well, and it even, it gets even worse with like Facebook's algorithm and Twitter's and algorithm, it, and get, where you like certain things and then it only shows you that. But it's not gonna go back. This is the thing, sure. people are complaining about it, but it's not, it's not like we're just gonna go back to no fake news anymore, right? So what do you trust in that system? What can you trust? And, and really the Satoshi's solution to this is called Nakamoto consensus. And the only thing that you trust is the longest, the most work chain. That's like the only thing you can't really fake or, or somebody so, just takes control over. Or so is that the most people saying something's true? Well, it's the most, it's like the most value, the most energy that you've burned to put into the system. That is, that is the only, possibly only the, the, sor the only source of truth that all human civilization might be able to agree on. And I know, I see some eyes, eyes rolling here. Eyes are rolling here, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we can see how this, this could play out. Because if you take it a step further, we are approaching this age of artificial intelligence, right? Now, a lot of people think about these artificial intelligence machine things, maybe they're uh, gonna be way smarter than us or whatever. I think a big part of that economy is actually gonna be services that are, you would consider them kind of dumb services because they're all these, um, you know, I, I ran a company for a really long time that was just like a really simple eBay add-on service. And it, it wasn't like super smart software, but people paid $5 a month to use it. And I can very much imagine sort of automating that and maybe putting it in the cloud and then people pay for it with crypto or Bitcoin. And then that service could pay for its own hosting, right? So you can kind of have these um, autonomous services that are, that are living in the cloud and they're actually not very smart. So what can they trust? Like they don't know which human being is more credible or whatever. And it's way easier for the programmer to just put in, well, trust the chain with the most work on it, right? So there's gonna be these like pieces of the economy that we interact with that that's just what they trust because it was the easiest thing for the person who, or the whatever to program them to Well, to, well, to speak, speak to like uh, fake news, like the consensus in 2002 was that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and that Saddam Hussein was responsible for 9-11. And now if, if you were to say that, the consensus would probably be a lot different, right? So how do we go, how do we shift from trusting reliable sources when that's the, the right, those, I mean, those issues are really, really complicated things to trust, right? So what you can trust on the Bitcoin blockchain is that the math is accurate and the blocks are valid and the transactions are valid, right? And so that is really, that's all that, you're not expected to trust like, oh, well, we think so-and-so has weapons of math. That's not in the, that's not part of the Bitcoin specification is how you can trust whether, well, you know, so well, what about oracles? That's, that's where I kind of thought you were going with this. Um, right, so, you know, people can have reputations, right? Reputations are different from, you know, I mean, there's, sure, there's reputations of how you operate and trust, but, 
but I feel like those sort of come and go, and, and that's a matter of um, taste and opinion. Definitely. Um, let's talk about decentralized apps. Outside of a cryptocurrency, what are some other things that you feel that blockchain would be really useful, like t types of problems that it could be solved? Outside of a crypto... Uh, outside of a currency exchange. Um, I mean, right now I think that that's kind of the number one app. Um, you, what you'll hear is a lot, a lot of people, there's this big problem in the world right now, for example, um, you know, with supply chains, and that comes up a lot. Uh, it's something like, you know, of all the pharmaceutical, the drugs that people buy, something like 5% of them are basically just water. People, uh, you know, somewhere in the supply chain, like, like HIV drugs, uh, you know, when doctors get them, 5% of them, they find out the patient, nothing's happening to the patient, and then they realize it's water, and you don't know. Someone in the middle, like, basically took the drugs, sold them on the black market, and replaced the real ones with water. Um, and so their idea is like, well, can we use this, um, this technology kind of, to track this? Yeah, this technology to, to track it. So, so that's actually interesting. In, in the IBM hackathon that AJ invited me to, uh, we created a solution to track the hurricane relief supplies, right? So that you wouldn't have all these bottles of water out in the middle right. of nowhere. You would know who was responsible for that but because the bottle of water would get tracked. I don't think any of that works. I, I mean, there, there are people you, that think this. <laughs> and they're working on it, but I don't think that it's really going to be a use case. So I, I think I, I think personally that what we're doing here as humans um, is, you know, I mean, you can you can draw some parallels to people. People forget that the tradable, um, uh, you know, share of a stock, the the invention of that is only 400 years old, right? With the East India Company, so. Uh, so what I look at, at crypto is sort of like, it's kind of like that, but it's sort of like a more technologically advanced version of that. And one of the things that we're, I think that we're doing as humans, um, you know, in the next, probably in the next 20 years, uh, the world economy will be about 10 times larger than it is today, and it will be 90% dominated by software, uh, you know, agents operating in the cloud, and, and they're probably going to be using cryptocurrency as their medium of exchange because they don't have an ID and they can't get a bank account, right? So, um, you know, I think that that's kind of what, I think that's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're bootstrapping the currency that computers are going to use, and the only way that we as humans can sort of bootstrap that currency goes back to this whole burning electricity and, uh, and this useless proof of work that we put into this, this system. Interesting. Um, so we've got your slides up. Uh, oh, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them, <laughs> go it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Uh, so you inspired Zcash Classic, which is a coin that has a $17 million market cap. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah, so it's a pretty volatile coin. Um, I, there was a coin called Zcash, and uh, some, they got some investors and some smart people worked on it to create it, and they decided to take a 20% reward, and I realized that it was really easy just to remove that reward. So um, I created an alternative, and, then, and other people are mining that alternative. 
So, uh, like, one of the things that was really, I don't know, powerful for me is I, I met somebody who was from Iran, and he actually lived through a time where um, basically all of his wealth was confiscated. It was, like, all the banks just, like, wiped out everybody's money. And it was, it was just gone, right? So the idea for him that he can just write down a private key on paper and he has these miners and they're sending money to this, this key that no one can take away is extremely powerful to him. And, you know, and so he told me that and I was kind of shocked because I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I just deleted this thing and put it on the internet. It's like, dude, I, I, I was, every day. I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't thinking of this guy yeah. when, I, when I did this, and so, but I asked him, um, you know, why, why don't you mine Zcash? That's sort of the, the, uh, the original one or whatever, you, can, you have a choice. And he said, you know, he's from Iran, he doesn't, he didn't want to support this sort of American controlled Delaware C Corp company. Like, that's not, you know, he wanted the one that was, you know, just decentralized, decentralized and, and open oh. and, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of the So, you a Bitcoin where it's completely decentralized, no one owns it, it's just kind of out there? Yeah, it's really similar uh, in that way. It's just, a, it starts with a Genesis block. It's totally proof of work mined. I didn't get any for creating it. There, there's a lot of misconceptions there because, like, when people start a company, they just get all the shares in that company when they start. Um, I, I, any Z Classic that I had, I had to buy or mine just like everybody else. Yeah, you were just the first one mining it, basically. Uh, no, there, it was actually like this, it's funny, there was another miner that sort of took uh, a big gamble early on and, and pointed a lot of his miners at it. So I, I was hoping to be one of the first miners, but then this other miner was like, no, I'm not gonna. No, I have more resources <laughs> yeah, than you. Yeah, yeah. So. That's, that sounds like a familiar story, very interesting. So if someone wanted to, I'd say there's somebody uh, in the audience or at home, and they wanted to start their own coin the way that you did, where, where do you think they should start? Um, I think that the, you know, the best way to start is to find a good reason for the coin and then um, I'm a believer, I, I like setting up situations where I can let the invisible hand of the market kind of do the work, right? So the, the situation here was just really clear to me, like there's this 20% tax that these people are taking, um, it's really easy to remove that and give people an alternative. And I think that if I, you know, present the free market with that, then people are going to say, oh, we like this. Um, so, uh, yeah. That's so, um, now is Z Classic, has it surpassed the, its originator? Original? You mean me or? The fork. Like, did you surpass the product that you forked? Oh, no, no. So, yeah, that's actually kind of funny. Um, the original one, the Zcash, has like a $500 million market cap now. <laughs> so it kind of goes to show, you know, <laughs> look, to be said maybe, maybe it was a good idea to give all these people 20%, right? Because they use that influence, they bought better listings on exchanges, they hire better developers, they have better marketing, right? So a lot of, a lot of people are, you know, they say to me like, well, hey, you know, why aren't you doing all these things? Why don't you have better marketing and developers and exchanges? I'm like, look, nobody's, I don't get the 20%. And my, you know, so, so honestly, like, 
Uh, yeah, you don't have the resources to do it. I don't. And so, you know, like I could provide people with this option and, it, you know, it's one of those things that maybe it sounds like a good idea, maybe it's not a good idea, right? Like, that's, yeah. Cool. So what made you uh, move to Puerto Rico? Um, was the like, first time you came? Yeah, no, like I said, it? yeah, I came in January um, and it was, it was the, you know, agenda blockchain the I, I read, I was reading about the, um, the Act 22 tax incentives and all of the things here and I was like, okay, well, I should, I should check this out. Um, and, and then also, you know, around that time, uh, there was a New York Times article, Brock Pierce and all the crypto people moving here. Yeah. And I'd lived in San Francisco and... Um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, I know. It was, it, was, it was getting more and more difficult. I mean, the day I left, the day I decided I was leaving San Francisco, I mean, I don't, I, you know, if people want to hear that. No, but like, it was summertime. First of all, it was the summer. I don't remember. It was like uh, August. It was like 50 degrees, at, at 50 degrees in August, right, in San Francisco. I'm like freezing. Uh, okay, I, I'm going on the subway. This homeless person like screams in my face. I have to step oh, there's on. way more homeless people in San Francisco. I'm, but I'm just like, okay, this guy, he's screaming in my face. I'll just do whatever. Then I have to like walk over like a huge pile of human poop, right? I'm trying to get on the subway. And I'm like, oh god, okay, and it's like all melted in. I'm like, okay, get into the sidewalk. And then I, I, I'm getting on the subway, and I see these like these signs up, and they're like, queers hate techies, like techies go home, and, or whatever. And I'm like, all right, so I'm not even, oh, what? I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm not even like wanted here. Like this is a place where like I'm, I'm like, I'm getting screamed at. I'm like walking over poop. I got, I got evicted from my home because the, the home value went up so much. Like the person who owned it want, basically wanted it back. So, so I, I like, I got evicted. I had to move into some like squat. I was paying some insane amount of money in Oakland in like this illegal co. It was horrible. I was yeah. like, this is. Miserable. It's super expensive. Like super, I was paying $1,800 a month for one room with, with no water. And I shared a kitchen with 18 people. And it was, it was just nuts. $1,800 like, a month for $1,800 and, and to share two bathrooms and one kitchen with 18 people. And all those other people had a dog because it was the only place that like, because it was illegal, they didn't care if you had a dog, like a big, it was just the worst. Like so, so I have a question for you. So, so you moved, you heard about the tax incentives, you read the, the New York Times article, um, and then you came down here and you saw the island. Um, if there were tax incentives in Antarctica, would you go down there and pitch a tent? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, no, to be fair, I mean, it'd be cool to check out Antarctica. I would definitely like to check it out. Because a lot of people, they want to go to, like, space or the moon and stuff. And I'm like, dude, I haven't even been to Antarctica. Like, like go, if you want to go somewhere that's, like, hard, harsh and you know like explore i mean try the you know the ocean is a place antarctica is a cool place like for sure um yeah i definitely want to check out more like underground in the ocean one day and antarctica and these hard places to live on earth um but no but like this is beautiful here like i love the weather i love the nature uh i just went caving a few days ago it was, it was crazy in arecibo uh nice, my family. it was amazing i, I was like uh, under there was you know underground like like you jump into these rivers that are flowing underneath the cave things that I was like this is incredible I can't you know I, I, I'm surprised 
that I, as a like, U.S. citizen uh, that I've lived here so long and not, have not visited Puerto Rico. For sure. And so was that your first time ever coming, was in January? Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. And if you had one piece of advice for the 18-year-old version of yourself with no MIT education and, uh, you know, starting from scratch, no money and no resources, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Um, to tell myself or to tell, like, whoever, I don't know, I mean, <laughs> tell whoever. Um, uh, you know, there's a few, I mean, there's definitely, like, a few, I don't know, one piece of advice. I mean, one good piece of advice is, like, don't listen to other people. Is a really, like, you can lose a lot of money listening to other people that you think are older and wiser than you. I can show you, I can load up right now emails from 2011 from people telling me, like, don't buy Bitcoin at $4 or $2 a coin because it's a Ponzi or it's, it's Beanie Babies. You're, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your time. Like, people who with PhDs in computer science that I respected that had jobs in the industry for a really long time, um, I can show you emails from those people in 2011 telling me, like, look, I know what I'm talking about. You're wasting your time with Bitcoin. Um, so. Just trust me. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, well, and, and on the flip side, I think there's a lot of people who uh, last December bought a bunch of Bitcoin at the opposite, listening at to other people at 20,000. Right, definitely. So there, there were people running around screaming, uh, you know, it's only going up. It's only Bitcoin can only go up. So buy it at 20,000. Yeah, when the lady in my bodega in New York asked me about Bitcoin, I was like, okay, listen, we need to talk. Don't buy Bitcoin. Please don't buy it right now. It's like... So uh, again, I think basing, like knowing yourself and basing your decisions on who you are and what you know, instead of like following the influence of others, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of it, right? So if you can, um, if you can, I guess, master something well enough that you can be confident enough in your own abilities and you can start trusting yourself, um, you know, that, that, goes, that just goes a long way, I think. For sure. For All right, cool. Um, got one last question, and, uh, and then we're gonna head over to the happy hour. What does disrupt mean to you? The word. This is funny. I'm, I'm glad you, <laughs> but you kind of brought that up. Uh, how many people in here have read the uh, the Innovator's Dilemma? Has anyone read that book? Oh my God, was it Christian Anderson? Is that no one here has read that book? No, you need to send us a copy. Not Hans Christian. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forget what it is. Um, holy cow, okay. Uh, uh, the Innovator's Dilemma. And there's a sequel to it, The Innovator's Solution. Um, so in case you didn't. But, okay, so The Innovator's Dilemma. <laughs> uh, right, so I, I, re I feel like everybody, if you're, I don't know, if you're an entrepreneur, you really need to know the lessons in The Innovator's Dilemma because it's something that happens every single time in every industry, okay? And this is the story that you're gonna hear over and over and over again, is there's gonna be this like, incumbent in the industry, right? And what they do is like, they have, they're the incumbent, they have all the market share, everybody uses them. And, and they're gonna see this like new little technology come around. And they're gonna go around and ask all their customers, they're gonna be like, hey, there's this little technology thing, like we could do that, do you want us to do that, right? 
And their customers are going to be like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. We like what you've got, right? And, and so they're going to be like, well, what do we do? We've got this thing. And, and the customers will be like, make it better. Make the thing that you made, just keep making it better, right? And so, like, this is the famous story with Steve Wozniak, right? He invented the Apple, Apple computer, and Hewlett Packard had first dibs on that technology, right? They, he had a contract, and whatever he invented while he worked with them, they got to decide they were going to get it first. And so, back then, like, the only good computers were, like, mainframes, right? So, so he, you know, like, a mainframe was the only thing that you could do anything on. So he went in with this like little crappy, you know, Apple computer, and he was like, you know, well, do people, you know, do you want to make this Hewlett Packard? And they're like, no, what, do you, what can you do with this? Like, this isn't a mainframe. This is like a child's thing. This is a joke. It's a toy. It's no a one's toy, gonna buy a right? Toy. Like nobody's gonna want. Nobody wants this. So they like they laughed him out of the room, and then what happens is. Like, you could spend a million or $10 million. They're like, no, you need to spend $50 million on this big mainframe, right? And you could do that. Well, and just to set the stage, this is before the computer. Yeah. This is before well, the no, iPhone, before the, well, there was per, before the personal computer. There was a, right. was a thing, right? Like, there wasn't a bunch of people at Starbucks with laptops. This was, you could get a computer that filled this room. He came in with a little tiny, right, a little tiny thing in Apple. And, and they laughed at him. And then what happens is, like, the little Apple, though, it gets, like, a little bit better, and then it gets a little bit better, and a little bit better, and then it still costs, like, $1,000, while the big mainframe is, like, $10 million. And then one day, all the people that were buying the big mainframes, they go, oh, excuse me, uh, we have to, like, turn over here and buy this other thing because it's way cheaper. <laughs> and like it's way smaller and then the, the industry just get completely disrupted right and you know it's the same as like horse and buggies and cars like all these things right so to me that's that's what disrupt means to me is in industries uh, we have this this innovators dilemma problem that happens over and over definitely and, and on the whole horse and buggy thing there was a time when there were horses in the street and cars in the street at the same time. And all the people on the horses were like, you guys are stupid in the cars and vice versa, right? So it's, it's also important to like notice those times where you're in the middle of a disruption, right? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Awesome, well, Rhett, thank you so much for coming down. Uh, I appreciate your time and, and your inspiration. And yeah, man. So our next stop is going to be at the um, monastery. So this is actually a historic place in Puerto Rico. Um, even if you guys can't stay all night, I suggest at least coming and checking it out. It is uh, the first Masonic chapel. Yeah, uh, in the New World, right? And I think a lot of people don't don't realize this. Like where we are is a really historic place in human history. Um, like the people who came from Europe and then colonized both North and South America and created all of the industry and all of the things, good, bad, and ugly, they landed right here. And, um, you know, I, I moved to Puerto Rico recently. If you guys were here in the morning, you, you heard me talk about that. And when I got here, I went to the mall in um, Plaza de America. 
And if you look at them all, they have the three flags, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, right? And I come from New York where it's really diverse. Like even when you're in the Spanish neighborhood, you have like Dominicans and Cubans and Colombians and all sorts of Spanish people even in the Spanish neighborhood, right? And I'm walking through the mall and I'm like, oh my God, every single person that's here is Puerto Rican, right? And, and it, it like shocked me for a second, right? And then I'm walking through the mall and I keep seeing the logo of the mall, which is these three ships, right? And it was those three ships that now the mall that I'm standing in was created because some crazy people got on some ships and, and now the mall and all of the people and all of the industry and so much, the whole world, the whole new world was created because of a bunch of crazy people who got on some ships. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to the same ethos that we were talking about in the morning where you know it's one person's decision. It's one person's decision what world we're gonna have and we're gonna create. And everyone who's in the audience and everyone who's watching at home, we have to decide is it gonna be our vision for the future or someone else's. So I encourage everyone who's here to step up and create the future that you wanna see in the world. So thank you guys. Thank you.